0: again I'd like to say good morning to you and I'd like to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John the first chapter. This is John's Gospel, it's chapter 1 and I'm gonna be reading down through verse 13 and I'm gonna start with the verses I covered last week, excuse me, just the first couple of verses and then read from 3 to 13 as well. receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray together. Father, this morning I ask you that you would make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, I've read the text to you this morning. I guess I'd just like to begin perhaps with with one of those did you notice questions. Did you notice the parenthetical verse or verses in this passage? The parenthetical verses. I'm referring actually to verses 6, 7, and 8, to those three verses that refer to John the Baptist. I'm going to return to those because they are a parenthesis, sort of a sidebar in this passage. It's almost odd that they would be here, but um, I'll return to them. But now I want us to consider what Paul wrote, or John wrote rather, without verses 6, 7, and 8. Because verse 5 and verses 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13 go seamlessly actually together. In verses 1 to 5, John has been introducing uh, and... uh, and identifying Jesus in a way that no other gospel does. He doesn't begin with Jesus' public ministry. He doesn't even begin with Jesus' birth. He doesn't begin with Jesus' conception. He begins at the absolute beginning of all things, before, before anything other than God was, before one thing had been created. And he writes that in the beginning was the word, the logos. This this is the symbol or the identification for for Christ before he ever was entering into the world in the beginning was the word and that word was with God and that word was God in other words he was he was the word he was God's very expression of himself in an eternal union of being and love it's amazing verse 3 says that all things were made through him and for emphasis then John repeats what he just said, but in the negative. He says all things were made through him, and then in the negative, just the same thing, but in reverse. Apart from him is not anything made that was, was made. All things were made through him. Every single thing was made through him. Well, what, is the, what does it mean? What are the implications of it? The implications are that all honor and all glory and gratitude due to God For this creation everything in it all honor all gratitude due to god by everything in this creation is due to christ all that honor and all that glory that all the goodness that is everywhere evident throughout this creation is christ's own goodness manifest that it is absolutely impossible to overstate who Jesus is. It is impossible to value Christ too highly. Then verse 4 goes on and says that in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now in the context of verse 3, which I just read before, John, in verse 4, obviously is drawing these words from creation, these words light and these words life. Light and life are things that were made through him. And when he says that in him was life, and the life was the light of men, you do not have to be a philosopher to appreciate what John is writing. All you have to be is a human creature, a human being and reflect on your own experience as a human being. Life and light are the greatest things that God has made. At least for us. You think with me for a moment. What would this creation be without light? What would this creation be without life? And without light and without life, there could only be a, a cold lifelessness. Is that not true? Really, an absolute darkness. If there was no life and there was no light, this would not be a good creation. This would be a sterile hell. This would be an outer darkness. And to have an experience of this creation, without light and life, would be to experience conscious death. No light, no life, no birds or frogs or whales, no trees or flowers or ferns, no sun or moon Or stars, no sunrise, no sunset, no yesterday, no today, no tomorrow, no companionship, no love, no color, no beauty, no artistry, no knowledge, no wisdom, no goodness, no worship, just a miserable existence. No light and no love. But light shines in the darkness. Darkness does not overcome it. You know, when I went to University of Maryland, or Illinois rather, some of you know this, I started out as a physics major because I was looking for God. And I had told my parents that I was looking for God. And I had told my Uncle Wayne that I was looking for God. Because I'd been asking people, literally, where is God? Is there a God? And people not giving me anything like a satisfactory or clear answer. So I decided I was going to go look for God since I was going off to school. And so I started out as a physics major. I thought I'd, physics is the answer astrophysics. I didn't know what astrophysics meant. I just assumed it was physics on steroids. I want to be an astrophysicist. But as attracted as I was to energy and, and light as, as the source behind all that is, the, 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 you know, the fundamental thing in all this universe. The thing I could go to and perhaps somehow go through and maybe understand God. Maybe God himself was light and energy. I soon abandoned physics for biology. I abandoned physics to study life. Life is so much more intriguing than light. Living things are a quantum leap ahead of energy particles when it comes to seeking the knowledge of God. Life, life defies mere natural explanation. And so I felt that if my, my starting point was biology rather than physics, then the distance to my goal, figuring out God, was probably going to be a little shorter. That's what I thought. My Christless soul was so restless and anxious and searching... And it was during the time of this transition that I happened to open up my rarely used and hardly comprehensible King James Bible. But I felt drawn to the gospel of John. And as I was drawn to the gospel of John, it was in this gospel, this gospel we're preaching and looking at, it was in the gospel of John that the Holy Spirit drew me to Christ. You know, to settle for life and life of the creation. To settle for the best gifts in the richest expressions of God's love and care. To say, you know, that's good enough. That's all I need in life. I really don't, I don't need more light than that. Uh, I don't need God. It really is to settle for too little, much too little. Because these natural expressions really are signs these natural expressions, expressions in creation are signs and pointers of an infinitely richer light and life. A richer life that is in Christ. and richer light that proceeds directly from Christ. And those are really what we need. In that innermost dimension of our being, we need the light and life that come from Christ himself. We need that in the inside of us. We need that in the most significant part of us. The part that the light and life of creation cannot affect, the part that the light and life of creation cannot reach, the most significant part of us. You can call the soul, you can call the spirit, you can call the heart, not physical heart, you can call it the heart. But in spite of experiencing the very best gifts of creation, that part of us remains lifeless, dark. And alone, if all we settle for is the best that's in creation. And as soon as we remove ourselves or are removed or cut off in some way from those best things that life offers us, the best gifts of creation, we immediately feel that. We immediately feel then that darkness resurging within us. We immediately feel that solitude and that lifelessness and it isn't due to an absence simply an absence of light or life in our souls it isn't simply due to an ignorance about this life and light that are in Christ in our souls this actually is due to our rejection of Christ. That's why our souls are lifeless. That's why there's this darkness in us. It's this coldness. I mean, naturally speaking, our gratitude for all that God's given us, tell me if this is not true, that naturally speaking, our gratitude is so sporadic Our worship is so anemic. Our commitment to truth is so weak. And the reality is, when you understand that all things have been made through him and apart from him has not anything made that has been made, you have to understand that this practical atheism that describes humanity is actually directed against Christ. And so, of course, when he came to his own, his own received him not. They did not know him. When Jesus, or John, when John speaks of light and life, in verse 4, he speaks out of the context of the creation. But at the same time, you understand at the same time, as he uses these terms light and life, he's also using them sort of a double entendre. and You see double meanings throughout John and his use of words. He's also using that, these terms of that greater life and light that we need in our souls and in our spirits, without which, without that life and light, without them, we can never really say that we lived at all. And so we go down to verses, verses 9 and following. We'll skip our parenthesis for a bit. And verses 9 and following illustrate exactly or elaborate on what, on what John had written in verse 5. He goes on to say the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him, to my point I just made. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And I agree that his own people did not receive it. I agree that his own people likely refers to Israel. But the text may just as well have been written, even his own people, along with all other people, did not receive and Later in John, in the third chapter, we'll read that the light was to come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Nevertheless, darkness, as verse 5 puts it, has not overcome light. Darkness has not overcome and could never overcome. And verses 11 to 13 elaborate on this. His, his own did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed him, in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of, but of God. And suddenly you see this language shifting from kind of abstract ideas, life and light, to a receiving and to being a child of God. You know, in, the, in John's gospel especially, to receive someone to receive a person is to open your heart and your life to that person. It is to welcome and to accept him. To receive someone is to share life and light with them, to have a true relationship with them. That is what it is to receive. It's not like receiving a package. And what John tells us here is that to believe in Jesus' name, in other words, to believe. In his true identity, to believe that the person, in the person that he is, the person that John is describing, to believe in him is to receive him. It is to welcome him. It is to accept him in. It is to embrace him. It is to enter into a relationship with Christ. To believe, to believe in someone, involves a movement of the Spirit to enfold that person. And to embrace that person for the sake of knowing that person. For the sake of loving that person. And it's by believing in Jesus that we really receive him. We receive him by believing in him. And it is true, is it not? To say to someone, I believe in you, is a way of saying, I love you. I love you. So to believe in Christ, to receive him is to believe that he was the word who was with God and he was God through whom everything ever made was made, in whom is the true life and the true light who entered into this creation, who took on our humanity to draw us out of its darkness and its death back into a true relationship with God. That's what it is to believe in Christ. And believing in him for whom he is is to receive him. He was born physically so we might be born spiritually through him. The son of God became a blood relation to us so we could become the children of God through him. And this becoming the child of God, this this believing in Christ is a result of something that is so much greater than our natural ability and John lists four things in relation to natural birth is so much greater than our natural ability or our desire any human desire this believing in Christ is so much greater than a matter of human determination i mean believing in Christ so we receive him. So we become God's children. That is a matter simply and totally of God's will. That is the impact of the word, the logos, the word on us. That's what that is. So we come into the light and life of Christ. We hear about him. We, we learn about him. and We say, well, this is, this is the light and the life. I, I really need, I need to be drawn out of the darkness that I know in my Inner being, I need to be put back right into a right relationship with God. I want this communion, this fellowship with Him. And that's why Christ came to bring us into that. When you feel yourself drawn to Jesus Christ and opening your heart to Christ, you know, it's kind of like birth. I don't mean to be vulgar at all, let alone graphic, but being drawn to Christ and find yourself your eyes opening in this new world, you see Christ. It really is kind of like being born. And when that happens to a person, that is the amazing effect that Christ is having on that person, on you. It is the miracle of spiritual birth. It is the result of your experiencing, your coming into the truest love ever it's an act of love it is God's love for you now I said at the beginning of this message that I would return to the parenthesis in verses 6 7 and 8 and I want to do that now because in these three verses John underscores the difference between John the Baptist and Jesus as if that needed to be described, as if John the Baptist was somehow a potential rival. But that's the way to understand these verses. And so we read them really in this way, that there was a man, that is, a mere man, sent from God, not the Word, whose name was John. He came as a witness, that is, as a mere witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through John in Christ, that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. That's amazing. I mean, isn't it odd to find it here? John never presented himself as a rival of Jesus. He always exalted Christ over him. The the, the, uh, strap of this sandal, I'm not fit to untie... uh, He must increase. I must decrease. He was before me. He's greater than me. John never presented himself as a rival to Jesus. But you know, in John chapter 3, some of John's disciples saw Jesus as a rival to their John. And decades later, when the apostle Paul came to Ephesus for the first time, he met a group this is acts 19 i believe or acts 18 he met a group of john's disciples people who had been baptized with john's baptism but had never been baptized in the name of christ and when john asked or when paul asked them well what about the holy spirit they didn't know anything about the holy spirit or the fact that the holy spirit had been given forth do you know that to this very day in the middle east in iraq there is a sect of, uh, of believers in John the Baptist called the Mandeans. They've survived for 2,000 years. They still exist. Well, Paul preached to those believers in John at Ephesus, and they came to faith in Christ. But here's the point that's significant for us, I think, one of them, is that John likely wrote his gospel from Ephesus, where he lived. Or from Patmos, the island prison just offshore from Ephesus, where he was was cast. Isn't that interesting? So that this idea of mistaken loyalty or mistaken faith in John the Baptist, which seems so odd to see mentioned amidst these huge ideas about Christ, was more than a possibility And John was aware of it. It was actually a live issue in the place and time where John wrote. And these three verses really are evidence, and they point to John, the Apostle John, as the author of this gospel. When you think that John wrote it, his putting this parenthesis here just makes sense. But beyond that, for us today... There's more to think about. I think what John is reminding us of, certainly the Holy Spirit, we have all these huge and great ideas about Christ, which are not really ideas. They're truths. They're the truth about Christ. And we're given these great, huge ideas about and truths about Christ that you and I would take them to heart, that we would become reflective about these things. You should not expect, I surely don't expect, that if I preach a sermon from the one verse in the prologue of John's gospel, you're going to walk away and say, I got it. I've been a Christian for 40 years. I'm still trying to get it. John's prologue, it's that profound. John did not write these things, though, to fuel speculation, you see, among the sophisticated. He wrote these truths to, sh- to fuel reflection among Jesus' humble disciples. So it instructs us in how to relate to Jesus, to think about him, how to, how to worship him. Why are we given such great and awesome truths truths are, you know kind of mind blowing why are we told these things because they will keep you from being misled and it's these very truths that have preserved the church from destruction it preserved the church think with me about John what was said about John the Baptist we read what John the apostle said about John the Baptist Do you remember what Jesus said about John the Baptist? This is what he said. He said, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus said. Jesus loved John. He had the highest view of John. And yet people were being misled from Christ to John through no fall of John's, the Baptist. (laughs) Through no fall of his. What does that tell us? It says to us that it isn't necessarily at all the worst things that end up leading people away from the faith, leading people away from Christ. It can be the best things that lead people away from Christ. The most noble ideas, the highest motivation and spiritual impulse, the most honoring people, or honorable people and their cause the most genuine feelings and how can this be because the truth is that the world the flesh and the devil are treacherous and that is a live issue for us so often when children and youths grown up in the church or adults over a period of time and they've heard about Christ and they defect or they walk away from Christ. Why? It's because they think they have found something better or truer. This gospel tells us in the prologue, it speaks to those of us who are not Christians, to draw us to Christ. It speaks of those who, of us who are Christians to keep us in Christ. It tells us that all things have been made through Christ. Everything. That the lights and the life that exists throughout this entire creation and the light and life, if they exist in any creature, any object, or anything, That light and that life that people exchange Christ for, if it is light and life on some level, that life and that light are so limited and finite compared with the eternal life and the light in Christ. That life and that life, light and life that might mislead us, the Satan would use to really mislead us, are only a reflection on a corroding surface compared with the light that is Christ himself. That he alone is the true light, which gives light to everyone who has come into the world. He alone. Not even the greatest man ever born among women. John the Baptist. But he Alone. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you and thank you for this beautiful passage from John in the prologue of his gospel. So much that we haven't explored, but thank you, thank you for it. Strengthen us to be worshipers, Father, of your Son your only begotten Son, who came through Him. We would be named by you. You would name us, your children. You would draw us so we know you as our Father in Heaven. We thank you so much, so very much, and that we can be assured of this, that in Him, in Christ, is the light. And that light and what was life? And that life is the light that we need. Speak to us, we pray. Amen.